Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. When I was growing up, uh, probably the same for you, we had these sweet shops. And in these sweet shops, uh, there were jars and jars of sweets. Do you remember those jars of sweets? And you'd go and you'd get a quarter of herbals or a quarter of humbugs or a, uh, what have you. Um, well, two weeks ago, we went to um, a little town uh, down in East Sussex called Rye. And in Rye, there is one of these old-fashioned sweet shops. Can you just put the picture up for me, Luke? Uh, there it is. There's Grace. <laughs> Grace had never seen one of these sweet shops before. Um, and it, obviously, that's just a small portion of it. But this shop had rows and shelves and windows of, of all these jars of sweets. And, and we said to all the kids, we were there with all of Fru's family. So there was, I think, uh, 19 of us there with all the cousins and aunts and uncles and... Uh, grandparents um, and all the kids we, of which there were probably about 10 kids we said oh you can all choose uh, it's not in quarters anymore it's 100 grams you can all choose 100 grams of sweets and they were like yay you know they come out so they went and then they chose their sweets and they brought them back to the house that we were staying and they were guarding this bag of sweets that they'd chosen like oh this is my sweets and I'm not going to let anybody take my sweets off me and occasionally you'd see somebody one of the kids doing a little deal with, um, with some, one of the other kids, I'll swap you one of these for two of those because mine's bigger than yours. And, um, um, and anyway, what I'm leading to is, uh, on the Sunday morning after we'd been to this shop, I was lying in bed and I'd uh, been reading the Bible, having my quiet time. Um, and I have to admit, I was, I was dozing a little bit um, in my, as I was praying. And actually God gave me, I'm going to say a vision, not a dream because old men have dreams and young men have visions. Um, but definitely, God gave me, God gave me a, a, a quite vivid picture, and it doesn't happen very often. Um, but I was lying there, and um, actually, I wanna, I'm going to read to you what I wrote in my journal um, when I woke up. Um, there we are. And so he gave me, he gave me this, this vision of a, of a room. And in this room... Um, were placed lots of children, each with a bag of sweets. And each child had a different bag of sweets, different kinds of sweets. There were some big, some small, some uh, chewy, some soft, some hard-boiled, some toffee-based, some chocolate-based, all different, multicolored uh, bags of sweets. And each of these child, child, uh, children, with, each with their bag of sweets, they're put in this, in this room, but they're only put in this room for one minute. And then they're called out of the room, and the sweets are taken from them. And they know, the children go into this room and they know they've only got one minute together in this room. And they know that they can't take their sweets out of the room when they leave. And I watch, as I was watching, as I was having this vision, I was watching the children. And a lot of the children immediately put their sweets into their pockets. And they were, they were guarding their sweets and wanting to protect it. And other children were, were kind of moving to the corner by themselves and just kind of eating one every, every so often, uh, just taking one out and eating it. And others were doing what I'd seen my own, my own children do. They, they were kind of trying to make deals, trying to get one up 
on another child, you know, trying to come out better off as they were swapping uh, sweets. And there were others who were, who were just actually just sharing sweets, just giving away, um, you know, making friends, building, building relationships, and realising that they've just got these 60 seconds to do something with these sweets. And, and as I was lying there and I, and I saw this, God just spoke to me vividly. He said, he said, our time on this earth is just a minute. Our time on this earth is just, it's like one minute when compared to eternity. And the sweets, they're the gifts that we've been given. They're our, um, our talents, maybe our calling that we've got. They're the skills that we know about, maybe some abilities that we don't even know about. They're our, they're our personality. These sweets are our character. Um, they're our position in life, in our work or in our circle of friends. Our uniqueness. These sweets represent all these things about us. And I say, compared to eternity, our time on this earth is just one minute. And God is wanting us to make the absolute most of what he's given us. It's not about building our own bag of sweets, our own kingdom. It's about things that matter. And the things that matter are people, building relationships, sharing what we've got, giving what we've got in order to make a lasting, eternal difference in people. That's kind of what matters. And it was such a vivid, vivid image. And I, wanted to, and, I, and I felt it was right to share with you today because it kind of leads on to uh, what I want to talk about today. In the first week of this series, Strength and Courage, uh, Mark shared a quote with us from a, a missionary, a guy called William Carey. And this was the quote. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding in things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding in things that don't matter. And so my, my title for today is... Um, Having courage in the things that matter. Have courage in the things that matter. And so I want to start with a question. When was the last time you needed real courage for something that really mattered? When was the last time you needed real courage for something that really mattered? Now, I'm not just talking about, oh, when we're going to wear the red dress today or the green dress today, or am I going to walk or take the bus, you know, things that really mattered, making a decision that has, I guess, eternal consequences or lifetime consequences. And for so many of us, for me included, I wonder if we find that our, our goal in life is automatically defaults to, to trying to get a comfortable life, a life without too many risks, a life that's steering clear of challenges, a life where we don't ultimately step out because we're focused on, on getting stuff or being comfortable. And I don't really think this is a true kingdom life. I don't think this is what Jesus called us to. Um, maybe we live our lives in such a way that we lose focus on the things that really matter in life. We start hoarding our sweets, carefully swapping sweets, despite knowing that we've got such a, short, uh, a relatively short time to make a difference. Maybe one of the things we worry about is that we don't have the strength necessary to accomplish what we think God is calling us to. And I think if you remember when Gary Rucci was here a few weeks ago, he made this statement. He reminded us that throughout Scripture, God didn't call the strong or the skilled. He called the young. He called the inexperienced. 
um, uh, to do his to do his um, his works. So people like Joseph, Gideon, Esther, David, and Solomon, and Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were guys who who he called and. Um, you know, when they, when they were first called, these guys were young and they didn't have experience. So I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get skilled. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be strong. Of course I'm not. Um, it's good to build the gifts that we've got. It's good to get stronger. Um, and with that, we can get a measure of success in life. But what I'm talking about is, is real success. Success from God's perspective. And it's less about, it's less about our strengths it's less about our abilities. It's less about the talents that we've got. It's much more about our receptiveness to his voice, our availability to his purposes, and our obedience to his prompting. That's what it's more about. So God, God has enough strength for all of us. God has enough strength for all of us to complete whatever purposes and plans that he gives us. Um, in Isaiah uh, chapter 14, verse 24, um, God, through Isaiah, it makes this statement. He says, surely, as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. God's got enough strength. God's going to provide all the strength you need at whatever point you need it to accomplish whatever task he's given you. You don't need to worry too much about not having strength. However, what you do need to bring to the party is courage. Okay, we know that we can, you know, God can work in our weakness, but God will only work in our weakness if we bring courage. And that's what I really want to focus on today is, is um, courage is, is doing, stepping out, stepping out of the boat, making a move, taking a risk, making sacrifices. Um, that's the way God can use us. And I think courage is crucial to a kingdom walk. We're going to need boldness as devoted followers of Jesus. Um, to take risks which, actually from a human standpoint, do seem ridiculous at times. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, made a speech, actually on the day before he was assassinated. And within this speech, he made this one statement. He said, um, we need to develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. We need to develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. So dangerous, that's what I'm talking about, risk-taking, stepping out, and unselfishness, not thinking about our own comforts, not thinking about what, what we need right now, but thinking about others before ourselves. So we need a dangerous unselfishness. And in the Bible, uh, we're told actually more than 25 times to be bold and courageous. We need to be bold and courageous. So what I want you to do, uh, actually I'll... I've prepared a message today on this, and, and I've realised it as I was just going over it this morning, in my, again in my quiet time, I realised that it, it all boils down to, to one thing that drains us of our courage. There's one thing, there's one attitude, there's one condition that will drain us of the courage that we need, and that condition is fear. Fear. Okay, now sometimes there's different types of fear. There's... There's a fear of being vulnerable. And, and I was looking at this and I was kind of, you, you all know people who are cynical, right? Cynical and critical. Um, these, a cynic is somebody who doesn't have anything positive or encouraging to say. Um, you can, a cynic can actually look like they're involved in the conversation, but really they're not. 
They're not. They're just in throwing stones and finding holes and, and pulling you apart, bringing negativity. Um, you can look like you're on the playing field of life when actually you're just on the sidelines. You're not lifting any burden. You're not creating any light. You're not bringing any salt when you're cynical. And it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be a cynic. It's easy to be a critic. It doesn't need any courage uh, to be a cynic or a critic. All you have to do is watch the people who are living. You watch them. You see them taking risks. You see them making judgments and decisions. And you see them um, putting things on the line. And you look at them and you judge their result. You judge what they're doing and uh, kind of bringing negativity to that. You're kind of, if you like, standing on the outside of life, throwing stones at those who are truly living. Margaret Thatcher said, if my critics saw me walking across the Thames, they would say it was because I couldn't swim. Oh, that's kind of so true. Somebody who is critical and cynical, they will always look for the negative. And cynicism and criticism is actually just really a hiding place for fear. It's just a hiding place for fear. Fear of being vulnerable. Fear of, of making yourself really truly known to people. Fear that if I say something positive or encouraging to you, it's going to make me look weaker. And it's just wrong. I can't bear being with somebody who's cynical. Um, somebody who's cynical, they kind of look at the sweets that the other children have got and they compare them to their own or think, ah, compare them to what they think they should have. And maybe you've got friends like this. Maybe you know people who are cynical. Maybe you're like that. I dare say some of us might be. Always pulling down, never building up. And I think this is true. Um, we've got, in fact, I was talking to my, um, uh, I've got a couple of teenage sons, as you know, Gideon and JJ, and I was talking to them yesterday. Uh, sometimes they can just really try and pull down. I say, look, it just doesn't help. It doesn't bring any value to relationships to be like that. And if you've got friends who are like that, I would say get away from them because all you'll do is just become like them. If, you're cynic, if they're cynical, you'll become like them and critical. The Bible's got a lot to say about this. I'm not going to go to dwell too much on it. Um, but in Hebrews 10, uh, verse 24, it says, actually it just says the opposite. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur one another on. Not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And you see this so often in scripture, exhorting us to encourage one another, building each other up. And, and I guess that was, that's kind of the, the opposite of being uh, cynical, bringing encouragement. So fear through cynicism. Also, we can be fearful of not having enough. We can be fearful of living a life of lack. And this leads to materialism. And I think the love of money, materialism, the love of possessions, it keeps us from doing the right thing uh, with our time, with our treasure, with our talents. And it conditions us to play safe and be selfish. So instead of a, a dangerous unselfishness that Martin Luther King said, we end up having this comfortable selfishness. And we can spend our life trying to accumulate as many sweets as we can, trying to, trying to get as many sweets in our bag uh, and store them up. And there's nothing wrong with having a lot of sweets. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of possessions and with having talents. Um, but there is definitely something wrong with making that our goal. There's definitely something wrong with 
making the accumulation of material wealth, your life's work, your motivation. And ultimately, you know, money is not even real wealth. In the Gospel of Luke, we read about a man who, who came to Jesus and he says to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. And, and Jesus responds um, with actually a, an amazing, with an amazing line. Um, and if we can get this line into our, into our thinking and into our actions, uh, not many people, I say not many people know this, I think people probably do know it, but not many people live like they understand what Jesus is, is says here. And the, what he says is, he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And I just think that is so amazing. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. Having lots of stuff, actually that's not life. And yet if you look at the way people live, if you look at the way actually sometimes I live, it looks like I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to have a better life by getting more stuff and getting more things. And actually Jesus kind of nails it. Life is, does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then the fool, uh, Jesus tells the story of the rich fool um, on the back of this uh, statement. And he talks about this, this uh, person who is successful in life. God blesses this guy. And, and he's so successful that he says to himself, I'm going to build even bigger barns. I'm going to store all this stuff that God... And I think the crucial thing is that he's, he's saying, rather than giving out what God is giving me, what, rather than giving out what God is blessing me with, I'm going to store it. I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, give myself this comfortable life. Um, he says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And I th- I'm sure most of us I know what the response is um, uh, that Jesus, in the parables, uh, says. He says, tonight, he says, actually, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. Tonight, you're going to die. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then, who's going to get what you've done? He says, tonight, you fool, the minute is up. Actually, that's the minute, it's gone. Who's going to get the sweets that you've protected? Who's going to get the sweets that you've been building up once this minute is over? And so, devoting our lives to the accumulation of of wealth and, and possessions is actually ultimately pointless. It's pointless. It has no lasting value. It doesn't produce a rich life. And in fact, you can even say to yourself, well, Adam, I'm being courageous. I'm being courageous in my work. I'm stepping out. I'm taking risks. This is what you're calling me to do. And I'm being, I'm being courageous by, by taking risks with my money in order, in, in, and, and kind of building up my wealth. And I think, actually, yeah, that, that is good. It's great to take risks in business. We, we need entrepreneurs. We really do. People who are, who are willing to take a risk with what they've got. That's so important in life. But we mustn't let the accumulation of the wealth to be our goal. It, we just mustn't. It's pointless and it's fruitless and it has no value. So be courageous. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, if that's what God's called you to be, then do it with all your heart and do it, but, but do it with a different value. Do it with kingdom values. Be the best boss to your staff. Be the best uh, supplier to your customers. And don't hold tightly to what you're your building, your, your bringing in. Give it away. Proverbs 11.24 says, There is one who gives freely and grows all the richer. So true. And then 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. That's good. 
so that having contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So there's that word abound and abundance used twice. God gives us blessing in abundance, not so that we will have blessing in abundance, not so that we will have a comfortable life, not so that we can um, have uh, security and not having to, you know, just uh, say, I'm going to eat, drink and be merry and build bigger storehouses, but so that we can be abundant in our good work. We can bless others in abundance. There's a two-way thing going on there. So we can have fear. Fear of uh, making ourselves vulnerable and then also fear of, of lack, of not having enough. Now the Bible does tell us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And in another place he says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. So actually there is a fear that helps us to acknowledge um, uh, God's authority. It helps us to obey his commands. It helps us to respect his kingship and his lordship over us. It helps us to hate and shun all kinds of evil. Uh, And this kind of fear is good. That's not the fear that we're talking about. Um, There's a fear that is destructive and irrational and it grips so many people and it robs them of a free life. Also another fear that we sometimes come across is a fear of uh, fear of people, fear of man, where you're making a decision and you're weighing up all the elements of this decision but you put too much weight on what other people will think of you. I know I'm just so like that. You want to please man instead of God. And your fear of, of man's opinion of you is more important than uh, your, the, uh, God's call on your life. And I want to tell you a story. And this is a story that um, happened this week. I was sitting in a, a cafe and I was preparing um, the message for today on strength and courage. And an elderly couple came and sat at a table behind me. And... God spoke to me and he gave me a word for this couple and he gave me a, um, quite a specific word about this couple's daughter and I sat there and I said, actually God, I can't do that right now. I'm preparing a message on strength and courage. Just, <laughs> just, I, need to, just, I need to get on with this. I haven't got very long. And so I sat there and, and it was still burning within me and, um, and he was there for oh, 10 minutes and I kept trying to start to write and I couldn't write. Um, and you know how often, when you, when you hear these stories from a preacher, they tell you how they, oh, they plucked up the courage and they gave the word to this couple and this couple broke down in tears and they, uh, they're here today in church. Um, uh, ta-da! Um, that didn't happen. I sat there and they left. And I didn't give the word that God gave me to give them. And ultimately, I was sat there worrying about, what will they think of me? What if it's wrong? What if I give them a word and it's it's actually none of it's true? What if it is true and they just think I'm some kind of wacko and they get scared of me and they just come in here for a nice cup of coffee? And I sat there and I didn't give the word. And this plagued me for hours. And in the end, I had to bring it to God and I repented of it. And, and then, worst of all, God says, you need to share that on Sunday as well. <laughs> you need to show them what a coward you are, how you lack courage. You're teaching them about you know, stepping out, about not being fear of man, and yet, you weren't prepared to do this. And I'm oh, God, really? Really? Oh. So here I am. This is me. 
and I messed up. Just like maybe some of you have messed up in the past, maybe some of you have messed up this week. You know, God's a forgiving God, and He's merciful, and He's gracious. And, and I said to God, God, if I'm in that situation again, I will never do that. And I mean it, and I hope I won't. Uh, so sometimes we can be afraid of man's opinion of us. And sometimes fear can just be an irrational thing. It can lead to just worrying about, about nothing about things that probably aren't going to happen. Depending on which statistic you look at, they reckon between 85 and 97% of the things that you worry about don't ever take place. Um, and we've all met people who are worriers, right? Worry about everything. Maybe you're like that, I don't know. But people who just worry about every single decision and uh, it makes them, you know, their, their brows furrowed and they've got this... Everything is just... I worry. Every decision is pain-making, painstaking, and they live their life in a constant state of fear. Shall I do this? But what happens if I do this and then this happens? And, um, and I know that worrying like this and living your life like this is definitely not kingdom living. It can be crippling. It's going to affect your choices. It will cause you to live small lives, living a life like this, by avoiding potential failures. You avoid risk, you avoid sacrifice, you stop living in boldness and courage. For example, in the time of the Judges, um, this is the period in history that the Bible uh, talks about in the book of Judges. Um, this is the time, obviously, we studied in the book of Ruth recently, it was the same period. Um, but there is, uh, in chapter 6 and 7, it talks about, uh, there was a period of, I think, seven years when the Midianites occupied um, Israel. And, and in this occupation came all sorts of oppression. And it says that they, the Midianites, it says they were like locusts. There were so many of them. And, and it tells us that the Israelites lived in fear of the Midianites. And they went and hid in caves in the mountains. And it said every time they planted a crop, the Midianites would come down and they would steal their crop and they would destroy everything. So you had the, the Israelites as a nation living in utter fear of the Midianites. And... In this time of dis disaster and this is time of great fear, we read about uh, a man called Gideon, a young man. And the first picture we have of, of Gideon is it tells us that he was uh, threshing wheat in a wine press. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't know if you know what threshing wheat looks like. Essentially, they, they harvest all the, the wheat all together. So you've got the stalks and the, the heads and the, um, kind of the important stuff, the, the kernels of wheat. And they're all there in a bundle. And they get a pitchfork. Uh, they put it all in, in this open place where the wind can blow. And they, they get a pitchfork and they, they throw it up in the air. And the wind takes away all the, the light stuff, the stuff that's not needed. It blows away the stalks and the chaff. And the heavier stuff, the kernels, the thing that they need, just stays on the, it sinks back down to the ground because it's heavier. And so they, you know, they're threshing wheat. They throw it up. and So they need to be kind of in an exposed place. But what Gideon is doing here, he's standing hiding out in a wine press. And I would imagine, you know, obviously wine press is a, a place where you press grapes, make, make wine. And I would imagine it's sunken. I would imagine it's kind of hidden from view. And, and I was thinking about this and I was saying, well, you've got Gideon there in this safe, comfortable place, threshing wheat because he doesn't want it stolen. But it, in a, it's really ineffective and it's compromised. It's a compromised position and it's totally ineffective for the task 
that he's doing. And, and into this place um, where Gideon is uh, threshing wheat in a wine press comes an angel of the Lord. And in verse 12, the angel makes this statement. The very first thing he says to Gideon, he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Other translations say man of, mighty man of valor or man of fearless courage or mighty hero. Um, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I don't know if the angel is being ironic because Gideon's there hiding out in a wine press thre- trying to thresh his wheat. Um, I don't think he's being ironic. I think probably what he's doing is calling out something in Gideon that he knows is there, that Gideon doesn't know is there. And, and I think most of us, maybe we can relate to Gideon's existence. Maybe we can relate to that. And we know that we're not living our life as effective as we could be. Maybe there's things in our life that aren't, isn't as effective as we know it can be. We, we are sure, we're convinced that God has got greater things. God has got bigger things for us. And yet we find ourselves in this compromised place, in this safe place, hiding out, trying to, do, uh, trying to uh, fulfill a task, but not, we knowing we're not stepping out. We're wanting God's best, but we don't want to step out of the boat. And so what Gideon does, the angel, the angel comes and tells him this and tells him he needs to raise up an army and attack Midian. And Gideon makes all sorts of excuses. He's like, oh, you know, I, you know, I. actually, first of all, he says, the Lord has abandoned us, is what he says. He says, look, we've been overthrown by Midian. The Lord has abandoned us. Why are you telling me to do this? He puts up these arguments. And verse 14, um, God, through the angel, makes this statement. He says, go in the, in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And my first focus on here was the word strength, because we're in a series on strength and courage. And actually I realized actually that's not the important word in this, in this sentence. Go in the strength you have and save Israel. The important word here is go. The important word here is you need to step out. You need to have courage. And often we see in scripture this word go and every single time, it requires an act of courage. It requires an act of bravery. It requires the person to take a risk, to take a step of faith. Um, and we need to not worry. As I said, we need to not worry about needing more strength. Because actually, he's given us the strength we've got. And he wants us to step out. God will provide all the rest of the strength we need. But maybe you think, well, I'm just not talented enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I'm just too busy, God. I'm just too weak. Maybe you're saying, I have got this burning desire in my heart. I've got this thing that I think God's laid on my mind, but I just don't know how to fulfill it. I can see others. I can look around and I can see others who are much better suited, much better qualified than I am to fulfill this task, God. Um, And Gideon, well, he felt exactly the same way. His response to the angel here uh, in verse 15, he says, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. God, sorry, God, you just need to choose a different person. You need to choose actually someone from a different family because my family is the weakest in Manasseh. And I think we can be like that. God, you've got the wrong person here. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not the person to be saying this to them. In fact, I think you might even have the wrong church, God. I think because our church doesn't do things like that. In fact, God, I think you might even have, have the wrong country. Go to America, God. In America, they think much bigger than we do. 
So go there. That they'll, you'll find somebody there who's much more suited to the calling that you're giving us, to the task you're giving us. I really like Americans. American Dave, he's not here today, so I can say this. Um, sometimes he and Josie uh, come and ba- they babysit for us um, and they look after our kids. And for me, it's always a step of courage to allow Dave to come and look after our children. Because, not because he's an American, um, but because he's prepared to have a go at anything. And our kids love it when he comes around because they just don't know what they're going to get up to. Um, but he lives life big. He lives life stepping out. I don't know why I'm talking about Americans anyway. Um, I think sometimes we can, we can, we can say, we're, I'm just not big enough. We're just not, we're, this not the right, we're not the right fit for you, God, in this way. So Gideon, he's there telling God that he's too weak. He doesn't have the ability. What does God say back to Gideon? What, what is his response? He says, no, Gideon. You've got it wrong. I picked you because you're the strongest. I picked you because you're the smartest. I picked you because uh, you're the best person I could find for this task. I, think, I picked you because I've trained you for this. You've got all these superpowers and you'll be able to do this task, no worries. Just in case you're wondering, that's not what God says. Okay? Um, some of you are going, really? I don't remember that. No, he doesn't say that. What God does say, he doesn't debate he doesn't argue with anything that Gideon says. Gideon has said, I'm the weakest. God doesn't say, oh, you are, you're fine, you've got everything you need. He makes, he makes one statement, and this is kind of God's trump card. Okay? God has a trump card, and um, he uses it sometimes. He uses it in this instance, he uses it in scripture quite a lot. He uses it with us, too. And this is what he says, I will be with you. Yeah, you're the weakest. Yeah, your family's the least. Yeah, you're, you're the worst person for this. But it doesn't matter. I will be with you. I will be with you. Everybody say, I will be with you. I will be with you. And again, I will be with you. Really important line. That's a powerful, powerful, powerful sentence. I will be with you. Because it trumps everything any excuses, anything that we can come up with, any arguments that we can come up with, uh, why we shouldn't do any particular thing, God says, I will be with you. Go in the strength you have. Go with what you've got. I will be with you. The strength, the ability, the talent you already have, it's not much, but it's enough. You just need the courage to step out, to go. Weakness isn't a barrier to anything in God's kingdom. In fact, acknowledging our weakness is probably the first step in accomplishing the best things, the greatest things. Knowing that we are weak, knowing and admitting our failings and our weaknesses is the first step in allowing God to do what he's going to do through us. And, and I think this is the fear that seems to be the biggest barrier to stepping out in courage, the fear that we're not enough, that we're going to fail, that we don't have what it takes and so we spend our lives threshing wheat in a wine press, not realizing that living in our life in a place without risk is actually not living at all. And we can always find the excuses that we need to do this. Oh, I've got a mortgage, God. I can't possibly step out. I've got a family to look after. Um, God, I just I don't have the time. There are people, God, relying on me. There are people relying on me. I've got kids, God. There are others who are much more talented, much more suitable to do this. As believers, 
who are living a devoted life to God, fear should never be the thing that stops us from stepping out. Let me tell you why. In 1 John 4.18, we read this, perfect love drives out fear. Hey, perfect love drives out fear. We don't need to have fear. Now, perfect love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Perfect love is a person. Yeah, and he told just before this uh, sentence, in this verse, he talked about how God is love. He talks about how God is this person. Perfect love is God who sent his son to die for the sins of the world. Perfect love is Jesus who came and lived his life as a human being, uh, facing all the temptations, facing all the, all the suffering that he had to face, and the risks and the danger that we all face. Perfect love is the Holy Spirit who lives in us, giving us counsel, giving us guidance, and uh, kind of guiding our steps. Now we can have a relationship with perfect love. We probably, most of us do, have a relationship with perfect love. A love that we can be conscious of, a love that we can experience on a daily basis. Perfect love, it drives out fear. So I guess if we are living a life, an immersed life of love, a life that's in relationship with God, who is, who is love, I guess we'd probably find that fear becomes obsolete. It becomes just irrelevant in our life. And are we always going to have this love with us? What can stop us having this love? What can stop us receiving this love? Let me put it another way. What can separate us from love, from this love? There's nothing. Nothing can separate us. Romans 8, 38 to 39, Paul writing to them says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor any powers, nor the present nor the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing, nothing on this world or out of this world that can separate us from that love that casts out fear. When God calls us to step out, you want to join me, Shaggy? When God calls us to step out, to go in the strength that we've got, what he's actually saying is, trust me, trust me. Have faith, have faith, trust me. And I realise, again, preparing this, that our courage is totally linked to our faith. And our faith is played out in courage. Okay, courage and faith. And a courageous faith will know that God, he just doesn't make mistakes. And courageous faith knows that God is never wrong. And courageous faith knows there is no battle that God is, in, uh, not, God is not in control of and no circumstance that he hasn't already seen the end of. I want us to imagine for a moment the courageous faith that it took for Gideon to go into battle against the Midianites who were like locusts. In fact, I just want to read a little bit from chapter 7. It says, early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. My own strength. It's not about our own strength. You've got too many. You've got too much strength there. I'm going to pare it down. God's ultimate plan was not about, just, not about destroying the Midianites. It was about 
Um, you know, God had a thousand ways he could have done that without Gideon. Uh, but it was, he needed Israel to see um, who God was and what he could accomplish um, uh, through them. So he says, But the Lord said, uh, Now announced to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So essentially they had 32,000 men ready to go into battle. Two-thirds of them were afraid. Two-thirds of the men were living in fear. They weren't able to be effective because of the fear that was in them. Send them away. But, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the, uh, there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So first of all, two-thirds left, 22,000 left because of fear. And then God wanted to separate those who were ready from those who weren't ready. So there were some who knelt down to drink, okay, and God, you know, they're not ready, they're on their knees, they're not even looking at where others stayed on their feet ready to drink. They were ready to go at a moment's notice. And God kept the men who were ready to go, of which there were only 300. So less than 1% of the original army are left. Out of all the people here, it's just Matt on his own. Yeah, that's 1%. Pretty much, or maybe one and a half, so half of Caitlin as well. Um, um, but yeah, we've got one and a half, uh, less than less than one uh, percent of the people who were there ready to fight were the people who God could use, who God wanted to use, because of fear, because of not not being ready. And we know what happened. Obviously, they went down and they annihilated the Midianites with just these three hundred men. They went, they they went in the strength that they had with God uh, working through them. Following God's plan is not always going to be easy, but we can trust that God will continue to equip us, to guide us, to strengthen us in whatever battles and circumstances we're going to find ourselves. I guess today what I want you to realise is that we're being called out of the wine press. We're being called out of our comfort zone. We're being called out of a place of safety. And we're being asked uh, to step out. So, I want us this week... Um, we're going we're gonna to have a, a song in, uh, in fact let's have the song first and then, uh, then I'm going to wrap up can, we, can the band come up I want us to sing that new song that, um, that Shegan brought this morning You Make Me Brave we're going to sing that bridge section You Make Me Brave can you just put the words up please Luke for, that, for the bridge You Make Me Brave the bit that says yeah, it. You Make Me Brave You Make Me Brave You Call Me Out beyond the shore into the wave. We're being called out. The next bit. You make me brave. You make me brave. No fear can hinder now the promises you made. No fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Let's just sing this. Let's all stand and sing this together. Okay, so I think this week I want to leave you with a challenge um, for courage to go in the strength that you've got, to acknowledge your weakness and I want to give you uh, uh, three things that I want you to have courage for this week. The first thing, I want you to have courage to be open to God's Word. 
This does take courage to say, God, speak to me. God, I'm listening. God, I want to know what, it, what your will is. I want to know what you're saying to me. Maybe you've got a word for somebody. Maybe you've got a word for my life. Maybe you're calling me to, to do something. But we need to be open to God's voice. And we need, that's, our, that's the first, I guess, our first line of courage. The second thing I want us to have the courage for is to have um, the courage to be obedient to what he says. Okay, not like I was. Okay, we can, be, we can be better than that. To be obedient to what he's telling us to do. I'm sure if, for a lot of us, we already have some idea. There's already something in our minds. You're thinking of it right now. Something that God is telling you that you need to do. And you haven't yet stepped out in that. Let me encourage you to do that this week. Say, yes, God, I don't have all the things. I don't have all the pieces in place. I don't have everything. There are people who are maybe better suited, God, but I am just going to step out. I'm going to go in what you've given me. As little, that it, as, little as, it, as it is, I'm going to go in the strength I have, knowing, having complete faith, that you're going to provide all the rest of the strength that I need. And let's commit right now to have this courageous faith to be bold in the calling God's got for us. Having the courage to not focus on our weakness. We're not ignoring them, but we're offering them to God to go in the strength that we've got. And the third thing is, um, whatever God is telling us to do through our word as individuals, he's already called all of us to go and make disciples. This is something that we're all called to do as followers of Jesus. We're called to go and make disciples. This is part of our mission statement, you know, to be disciples, reproducing disciples. And so this week I would encourage you to have the courage to talk to your friends about your faith, talk to your family, talk to that person that's on your mind right now. Maybe invite them to Mark Ritchie on Tuesday, that will be a powerful night. It will be um, full of fun and laughter, but Mark Ritchie will also bring a gospel message because that's what he does. He's a brilliant, brilliant evangelist. So go, to be courage to be open to God's word, to, of God's voice, to be courage to be obedient to his calling and the courage to go and make disciples step out this week I'm just going to pray and then we're going to wrap up Lord, Lord God as a church we uh, commit our lives to you and Lord on behalf of me and maybe others here as well I want to say sorry for the time that I haven't been courageous for the time that I haven't stepped out I haven't uh, been obedient to your calling Lord God but when I've missed, missed it, when I stayed in the boat, when you were calling me out onto the water, Lord God, Lord, I'm sorry. And I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you that you are calling me, and you're calling us uh, to do great things. I thank you for the potential that's in this church, and I pray that as we commit our lives to you, as we commit to having the courage to realizing that potential, not in our own strength, God, but in the strength that you've given us, God, uh, the, the strength that you provide, Lord, we will go uh, this week and in the weeks beyond. Be glorified in everything that takes place because of what we've heard and learned today. Amen. <laughs>